On this episode of Office Hours, Janice Bryant-Halroy, Claude Silver, Frank Brescia, Travis Adams, and Glenn Lundy. Faith without works is dead, so make sure you're prepared to do the work before you leap. You are an icon, you're an inspiration to so many. Asking for help is amazing. That's always been profound for me. It's good business to be good in business. Being an empath is the superpower. They built you up and you over-deliver. David Meltzer hosts... Office Hours. I'm here with my angels. That's right. My, <laughs> my co-host, Jason Waller, CEO, founder of Power Home Solar, extraordinary business, and of course, the True Underdog Podcast, which we have to get our next guest onto your podcast, yes. one of the top in the world. Of course, Mike Momola, founding partner at Media Abundance, entrepreneur, consultant, speaker, and an influencer of good. Thank, Thank you for Dave. joining Thank me. You. And of course... The infamous, the amazing sports agent, lawyer, partner at Brown Rudnick, and dear friend of mine, David Moreno. Welcome, angels. Thank you. Well, we have the new Charlie, uh, one of my mentors, a true hero. Um, she's amazing. This is when they have entrepreneur in the dictionary, and you think of maybe Zig Ziglar, not me. I think of Janice Bryant-Halroyd. Our featured guest is Janice Bryant-Halroyd, founder and CEO at Act One Group. Janice, you are a blessing to all. You are an icon and a milestone for my three daughters. When they heard your story about how you built a multi-billion dollar business sitting as a secretary in the entertainment business to this point today, you know, it blew them away and they started dreaming a lot bigger, which I think is the greatest gift uh, that you give women and men, but entrepreneurs in general, the ability to dream big. When was it in your life you know, growing up as an African-American woman, that you allowed yourself to dream that big where you are today? Your question actually is just too soon in our conversation because I'm too old to get emotional. And I'll, I'll tell you why I say that. I'm sitting here in the dining room of my home in North Carolina. This very space I'm sitting in when I first bought this house had a little contraption underneath this dining room table where the owners of the home used to press their foot and call my Aunt Mag in as their maid when they needed the table to be undressed or food to be changed about. And I bought this home over 20 years ago. My Aunt Mag came around for a 4th of July event we were holding here, so we were all out back above the pond, and we greeted her at the back. And she pulled me aside and she asked me, Janice, may I walk through your front door? Mind you, David, Aunt Mag walked with a cane at that time and was over 80 years old. We told her the back door was quicker because we thought she wanted to go to the bathroom. She replied, no. I worked in this house and cleaned this house for over 20 years and I never got to walk through the front door. I like to walk through the front door of the house that I cleaned. I come from these people, and the house that I sit in was not a dream I had I would own when I was a young girl. What I did dream about was fulfilling life through what we called then social services, to be able to deliver information and education to people who didn't have that experience present to them. In a way, the work that I do today allows me to do that on a much more dynamic and technologically supported field. 
So I'm holding back real tears right now because I just wasn't ready for your question. But sitting here and having you introduce me, not only as the founder of a multi-billion dollar global business that focuses on workforce solutions and, uh, and, and equitable talent and employment for all peoples across the world, you also have three incredible men there and you're calling me Charlie. <laughs> yeah, I'm emotional. I'm really emotional. Because this is a long journey from where I started. That was a very emotional story, Janice. Thank you for sharing that with us. I mean, you inspire so many people, you know, being the first African-American entrepreneur to get over a billion dollar company. So kudos to you. We were up here trying to clap as the thing. That's, that's a big deal. And I want to talk about the leap of faith. I want to talk about the when you decided to go on your own and, and build the business at Act One Group. What was that leap of faith like? Because you got to bet on yourself. What transition for you to decide that's what I'm going to do? Oh, wow, would I love to tell you that that's exactly how it happened. It didn't. And one thing David knows about me, don't ask what you don't want to know. Uh, for me, it was more the faith and, 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 and the vision that my sister and her husband Tommy had in me. Because see, I went off to California from uh, North Carolina by way of uh, Washington, D.C., and I got hit in the face with all of these successful people who were also the pretty people and the people you see, you know, on the covers of magazines. Back then, we were still doing print. And I just didn't think I was one of them. So I was out trying to figure out basically how to get a job to sustain my stay in California because I went out on vacation. You might say I'm still on that vacation. We talked about that before, David. Uh, but here, here, here's the thing. They saw in me what I didn't see in me. And by the way, faith without works is dead. So make sure you're prepared to do the work before you leap. Um, but for me, it was more the case of confidence in the people around me that there was something they thought could work and a discipline that I think when I grew up was referred to as grit in our house. But that discipline married to grit is what I think sustained me until I engaged in truly taking a leap of faith. So I had a profitable company doing about 10 maybe no maybe 15 million dollars a year with much higher margins than we work at today by the way i was at that point in my growth that i actually took the leap of faith and what was that leap of faith it was the leap into technology that would support my organization to grow based on needs customers had that were not being fulfilled by competitors in my field who were not black not female and didn't speak with a southern accent because everything was done face to face then i mean i'm visiting you virtually but back then this virtually did not exist and so most of the business i did and that i grew up until that point was the influence of my own discipline and grit the leap of faith occurred when i determined i just wasn't gonna go out like that when companies started to aggregate how they bought talent and I had to compete for the same business competitors were delivering 80 to 90% of the volume. I met the same SLAs and had the same pricing requirements placed on me. And one would think 
get out and go fast, not me. That's when I took the leap of faith and determined that I would engage technology in a different way. Giannis, I love that. And when you decided to take that leap of faith, what I'm sensing here for me, uh, my journey was that, you know, academically, I, I was okay. I didn't go to an Ivy League school, but I came across something called emotional intelligence, EQ, rather than IQ. And for me, that was a game changer because people is where I always operated well. And I, you know, I sense from you, you know, based on what you said, how we started off, everybody essentially tearing up, you recognizing that human component of business and what we're doing on a very high emotional level. In what way do you attribute emotional intelligence or EQ because so much of society is recognizing that as a basis for success now? In what way do you attribute that to your success and, in, in, and, how, and when did you recognize it if you did to say that, man, this emotional component of what I do is really helping me build because there's so much of it coming from you? Less than an hour ago, friend, I was in a conversation with some top executives in my organization and we were talking about how we exit COVID and our strategy around growth, revisiting it, ensuring that it's still good. And the whole conversation revolved around the emotion of people. You know, one thing folks haven't thought about is that there was a lot of emotion expressed and people were emotionally, uh, uh, some unstable, some uncertain, but all emotionally impacted as we went into COVID same level of emotional care is uh, occurring as we exit COVID and as some are afraid that we may re-enter with variants. And so when you put that in a business complex along the question you're asking me, we're always engaged as people in emotional experiences. We don't learn anything. We don't earn anything. We don't yearn anything absent emotional investment. If we don't understand people, we cannot stand under the products and services we offer them. I feel particularly grateful to be in your presence. You are an icon, you're an inspiration to so many. One thing I wanna to touch on in your book, you, you go out of your way to stress the importance of integrity. And integrity to me is making your choices and actions rooted in your value system rather than personal gain. Uh, talk to us about the importance of integrity to you and why you chose to highlight that in your book the way you did. No matter what business you're in today, you're in the tech business. We conduct business through tech. I've sponsored and supported women in Africa who grow their businesses using a cell phone. Okay, everything they do is on that cell phone. That gives us a lot of cover around how we conduct ourselves. Now, it can exploit you as well. Okay, and you can get exploited by it. But the, in, the point of integrity will continue to be integral to how people build lives, not just build businesses, because at the end of the day, you've got to welcome the morning. And here's what I mean by that. You've got to lay your head down, whatever your nighttime is, with the knowledge that you've completed a day in a way that you can wake up deserving the sun. And I mean that literally and figuratively. More people's illnesses biologically are derived from their emotional steadiness. And emotional steadiness is an outcome of an integrity-based life. Never compromise who you are personally to become who you wish to be professional. Well, 
there's no wonder that your Ask JBH podcast is doing so well. We could sit here all day and ask you everything. We love Janice Bryant Howard. She is a legend and a milestone for all men and women in the world, founder and CEO of Act One Group and Athena Group as a founding member. Thank you so much for the lessons and the love and the light that you share all the time. Thank you, Janice. Thank, Thank you, you Janice. so much. Thank you. Her energy and her leadership skills you see, she's totally an inspiration for so many people. Yeah, super powerful story. And for her to be in that house um, is so full yeah. circle mm -hmm. for her family. And I can tell you without knowing Janice beyond today, that she does the good, the right thing when no one's looking. And she, she's done that consistently throughout her life, and that's why she has all these blessings. I talk about intention and attention and the aggregate of those equal coincidence. One of the other elements to that is integrity. Integrity Absolutely. is aligned at all times with the synchronicity and coincidences that you want in your life. A lot of people look at Janice and say, wow, she's so lucky. No, mm -hmm. she lives with integrity and attention, focus, and intention, action to create those amazing coincidences that we all wish we all had. Next up, we've got Claude Silver, Chief Heart Officer of VaynerMedia. Claude, welcome to the group, the gang, here at Office Hours. It is so, so good to see this Motley crew. Thank you for having me. <laughs> you nailed it. Hey, Claude. Well, hey, Claude. The name of the show is Office Hours, but I will tell you that as we shared space in the same building in New York, I would make sure anytime that we were at the office at Hudson Yards that I'd come up to see you, and literally, we would have a heart-to-heart -heart Office Hours. We, uh, nothing was out of bounds. We learned from each other. We shared. Uh, but it was from the heart that we were speaking. A lot of times it had nothing to do with business at all. We were you know, vulnerable and sharing uh, our experiences and, and helping each other heal in those experiences and the advice that we could give each other to lead you know, extraordinary people and extraordinary companies. What were some of the significant growth experiences to bring you to this you know, transformation where we're not quite in the corporate world, but yet we have a major impact in it? Uh, in explicitly by being a chief heart officer? I think the first thing and, and why I'm so passionate about what I do in terms of creating safe spaces for people to feel like they belong in inclusive environments is, you know, as a, as a young dyslexic, I really felt dumb for a good th almost four decades of my life. And, you know, the voices in my head that I, uh, you know, the story I kept telling myself over and over and over again really kind of, um, you know, help me get that shovel and dig me into a deeper ditch uh, at a young age. I, I'm so fortunate that I had athletics and I, I come from a, a really positive giving family and that really boosted me in many ways. But I had to get over some demons that had told me I really wasn't worthy, it wasn't good enough. I, uh, I would never, I was never going to make it. I had this missing microchip in my head. And it wasn't until I really took to heart what my Nana, who who died at 101 four years ago, you know, my Nana helped me see that being an empath is the superpower. It is the thing that I want to go out with every single day and making people feel better is all that matters to me. Better than XXX, it doesn't like fill in the blank. Now, the funny thing is Nana and I called each other heart. Like we would pick up the phone, hi heart, it's your heart. It's just the most amazing thing that now I get to I get to carry the chief heart officer title every single day and 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 while it's a title it's it's who I am to leave my heart print if you will on 
people every single day is an enormous, magnificent honor that, uh, that I am humbled and floored about. With regard to that, it was those inner demons. And I remember the last time we were at Hudson Yards and you and Dave were talking about the old Native American proverb of each one of us has two wolves inside us, right? One is good and love and abundance and joy. The other is evil and grief and depression and sorrow. And the, the grandfather and the grandson are talking and the grandson says to his grandfather, well, which wolf wins? And the grandfather says, whichever one you feed. And so it sounds like at some point, not only did you begin feeding the right wolf, but now with the hundreds of people that you coach every day and work with every day, how do you teach them? We know what you do, but how do you do that? How do you get them to feed the right wolf? Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that story up because when I think of David, that's what I think of. Yeah. I mean, that is, I got chills even, even thank you so much for bringing that up. You're welcome. You know, I really try to help people hear that negative voice in there. What is that negative voice saying? Because by the way, 85% of the inner, inner dialogue until we can actually get present to it is pretty negative and it's pretty repetitive. It's just like no new news, right? And so it's literally, what is that voice telling you? And is that true? How do you know that's true? Oh, no, 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 that's a story you told yourself and that story is fictitious. So when we can identify that and really helping someone understand the energy that they embody, and that their energy introduces them way before their mouth does. So who, what's the energy that you're feeding yourself? What exactly, which wolf are you feeding? Yeah, absolutely, Claude. And I've been so impressed with you since we've met. I've thought a lot about our, our conversations and I'm, I'm reluctant to even use the word HR, but your approach to HR um, in the traditional sense is, is just amazing. And I know you stress the importance of strong interpersonal relationships all across the board in the company. And I think it's something that's not done enough by major companies. They take for granted support staff and, and, and junior associates and junior colleagues, and they don't build proper relationships. They may not even know who the person is that they speak to every day. How has that been important to your growth at Vayner, and how has building strong relationships helped uh, foster a more positive environment? Being a high-touch person, human leader, is key. Being accessible and available 24-7. And I'm not saying at the cost of your own mental health, okay, of course, but I mean being approachable, will, yet, having the yes and, the open door policy, making sure that people really understand that we are, we are as strong as the interconnectedness here. It's connective tissue which makes us strong. And so that requires you being open to me introducing you to 10, 20 people and saying, yes, I'd love to meet that person for a coffee Zoom. And those 10 or 20 people saying, yes, I'd love to, I'd love to carry the flag of Vayner. I wanna make sure that I'm sharing with people why I love it here and what they can do to help them on their journey here. Because everyone has a story. The culture is, of course, dictated by Gary way at the top, and I'm a huge carrier and champion of it. It's everyone's responsibility to create the culture, every single person's. And so on orientation day one, I'm looking at 20 to 30 people on a screen or in the office and I'm saying, the most amazing thing is starting today, you are just as responsible for this magnificent culture as I am. And so what you put out into the world is just as important as what I put out. So awesome, Claude. Thank you for being such an inspiration to people. I, they, they built you up and you over-delivered because <laughs> yeah. I that before I was like, wow. So super cool. Let me ask you this. What are you most proud of in what you've done the last few years? Like what, what warms your heart the most 
since you're the chief heart well, officer, what warms your heart the most and that you're proud of? I think um, changing our benefits to benefits that are inclusive of people that are um, uh, uh, going through uh, transitions, gender reassignment is huge. Uh, of course, and looking at fertility and infertility, and those might seem really like check boxes, but it's not. It's the thinking of who's in our office today and who's going to be there tomorrow and the next year. So that's really been important to me, and I actually didn't know I would say that until you asked that question. Um, I think you know one of the things that Gary and I have brought in is something called kind candor, and uh, it, it, you know you've heard of radical candor, but kind candor for us is really, really leading with empathy, compassion, kindness and being able to still be honest. You know, feedback, we always talk about feedback is such a gift. And so creating that blanket and the training across the, all of our offices, I think is something that I'm really, I'm really proud of because we want people to be open and receptive to feedback, as subjective and objective as it might be, but we also want people to know how to deliver it. Lastly, Claude, you know, we've told ourselves these stories for upwards of 40 years, uh, creating interference between what we are already and our possibility or our potential. And no matter what evolution and growth that we've experienced and leadership roles that we can take and millions of people that we can empower, there's still remnants of those stories, right? The hardest thing I get choked up thinking about it is you know to deal still when everyone now is looking up to you saying oh he's going to empower over a billion people or claude's the chief heart officer of you know one of the best places to work in the world that all these kids and yet you go home sometimes and there's remnants of the story and i try to spend minutes and moments in the remnants of the stories i try to create processes and mechanisms for myself to heal but also to get back to center what do you do when the remnants of the stories come back, now that you've been elevated into a prestigious role and an empowerment role, that this human aspect that you're still not healed and there's still remnants of those stories that you know create fear and separation. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because every day we get triggered. Every day uh, there's something that might pop up that you know s says to me, you know, you're dumb, you're dummy, or whatever it is going to say, and. Uh, one of the things I've been very loyal to is a gratitude list for about three years, and that really has helped me ground. I do it uh, in the evening before I go to sleep, before I do a, a nighttime meditation. And then the thing, the, really the, the tactical, practical thing also is that I, I have two very young kids. I have an eight-week-old newborn and a two-and-a-half-year-old. And so when I watch the two-and-a-half-year-old in particular, I think of the messaging I want to be able to give her. And every day when I say to her, you are brave, you are thoughtful, you are sweet, you are kind, you are smart. Those things are, I think I'm, I'm also healing me, of course. I mean, that's what we're doing. So um, that and, uh, and really some mindfulness meditation, remembering that I, am, will, I will always be a student for life. And, uh, and thank you to, 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 uh, for being one of my teachers, David. I love co-mentoring people where it's a mutual heart association uh, and you are the chief heart officer of my heart as well. You just make it sing. Thank you so much for joining me and the Motley crew. We certainly appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks, Claude. Love thank you, Claude. Thank you. Be well. I'll see you next time. Bye. Yes. She has the wrong name. That's the only problem, right? It should be like Claude Platinum.
<laughs> she's yeah. way better than silver. She's not second place in my heart. No, platinum. And, and every company needs a Claude Platinum or a Claude Silver. It, we focus on so much academically, like we talked about, our brains as driving us. But that's it. We are human beings. We are emotional creatures. Everything, Dave, you talk about this that we do operates off of emotion. And we need people like Claude to remind us of that so we can be driven in the right direction. Yeah, whether in sports or business, culture wins championships. And people like Claude Silver and Greg Popovich set good culture. And that's why the Spurs win. That's why Vayner consistently wins in every space. That was amazing. I mean, I, I'm going to take the gratitude list that she does every night. Mm -hmm. I'm going to implement that. That is such a great idea. And the viewer should think about that. That's such a good step in the right direction to put down who you want to show gratitude the next day for what you did that day. I just... I was touched by that. That was great. Our next guest is Frank Brescia, Chief Executive Officer at Aluna. Frank, welcome to Office Hours. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm rethinking a lot of the historical institutions that this country's built on, financial, political, but the one that I'm looking at the most to see if I can change is our educational system. And Aluna has a lifestyle learning platform that I think is most aligned with what I believe is the transformation that needs to happen within the context of education. Uh, and because technology obviously has affected education so quickly and has created so much change so quickly, it obviously has the biggest change to be made as far as a system that was created in the 50s for industry that was created in the 50s. And now here we are in 2021 and nothing's connected. Where is the bridge in Aluna as a learning platform for what we need today in education and learning? There's a disconnect between everybody that has access to education. So you can see in a, in a situation where, you know, people are in the cities, don't have the same access that people in the suburbs have. And I think in the rural areas, you know, or from, for instance, with me, we have a higher you know, property tax that pays for our schools to be off better off. One thing that's lacking is access for those inner city kids. And Aluna is bridging that inequality gap by allowing everybody to have access to a tutor at any time, at any moment of their day. So one thing that we've noticed is uh, with technology, you know, you could be sitting in a school classroom, get a concept that you'd have no idea what you're learning, but the teacher just kind of glosses over it. There's seven different styles of learning and not every kid's going to be taught the same way. But in that classroom, they are. And what Aluna does is if that kid can go to the next class say it's a study hall, he can pull up his smart device, jump on and get a certified teacher from around the world. He can learn Spanish from a Spanish speaking uh, individual in Spain or somebody that's in California at the same time as he's being in New York. So for us, it's bridging that gap of allowing everybody access to certified teachers. Frank, and I, I love the thought process behind Aluna. You would assume like democratizing education, uh, one of the most important pillars of our society and making education more accessible for everyone, which will make us all a more product productive society would be just the most well-received idea there is. I personally know that sometimes it's difficult even when you're trying to do something good. So what are some of the challenges that you've encountered in, in getting a Luna into the hands or into the tablets or the phones of kids across the country? And, and what sort of things can, can we do and, and the viewers do to help uh, amplify Aluna. So it's funny you, you mentioned the uh, the pitfalls for us. So one of the biggest pitfalls, as as you guys probably know, with Aluna, it's it's kind of a digital employment as well. So there's a two factor where the students are learning, but teachers are able to teach and be paid similar to an Uber style uh, learning app. And what we've come across with the school districts is they're having a hard time getting teachers to come into the classroom. 
So now if I give them an opportunity to be outside the classroom and earn the same amount of money, what's going to benefit them to come into the classroom? So that's the biggest pitfall we've seen because, uh, you know, the, the federal government basically gives money based on, uh, you know, how the kids are doing in school. And if they're not coming to school because now they have a way to learn outside it. Frank, what we see is that the most successful companies solve problems and provide services. And to me, it seems like Aluna does both. What is the problem? I'm, what is the, What was the, the genesis of Aluna? How did you conceive it? Where did it come from to demonstrate to you we need to fix this problem? Yeah, so selfishly, it came from my own family. So when my daughter, who is, uh, you know, she's a senior this year, but she was a junior last year, uh, she was taking a organic chemistry class, and when COVID, right before COVID hit, she was struggling. And me being a biochemistry major, I'm like, well, this is my time to shine. I'm, gonna, you know, her and I are going to get along great. And that did not go so well. So I decided, okay, well, we need to hire a teacher, uh, a tutor at that point. So we brought a guy in. Uh, he said, oh, we can handle this for you, no problem. It's going to be, you know, $250 for the month, um, up to $1,000 depending on how many, you know, times I come. And so, okay, let's let's try that. He came the first time. It was an hour session, and I walked by the room where they were learning. Within 10 minutes, she was completely glossed over. And I was like, geez. So I said, hey, Elsie, what's going on? She said, Dad, I was lost within the first five minutes. I said, okay, well, would, did you tell him? She said, yeah. And he said, don't worry, we'll get to it at the end. And I said, okay, well, let me call him and ask him what's going on. So I approached him and I said, listen, she's not getting it. He goes, yeah, listen, I'm actually learning it as we go. I'm not an organic chemistry specialist. We're kind of teachers of everything. We're not specialists. And I was like, well, shoot, that's not great, right? So <laughs> I said, okay, let me find somebody else, another service that has specialists. Well, no one has an organic chemistry des designated person. They have teachers that understand it, but don't really dive into it. So my thought was there's gotta be a better way for these kids. And that's kind of how Luna was born. I wanted them to be able to pick up their phone, smart device, because every kid has one, even my, you know, my eight-year-old has one. Um, they could pop on the phone, say, hey, I have a question worth again chemistry. It's gonna populate just like an Uber would populate with drivers, with teachers that we've already certified in organic chemistry worldwide. On Luna, what if a child's still going to school, but it's just tutoring, is that possible? Yeah, that's exactly how we want it to work. So most tutoring platforms, you have to sign, up, sign in, you know, get a teacher for that time. We wanted to be, hey, your, your daughter had a question, pop on in the next, you know, next break she has and get that. That's a great business. Now, what about when you get up, you know, and set your mind, body and soul every morning? I, I Bertie told me that you're a, you a master of working out. You like to take care of your body, but you're still not meditating, right? That's what I've heard. So it's, <laughs> it, I, I haven't either. I'm wanting to start meditation. Tell us how important it is to get your day started in the morning with working out and have you thought about meditation? I have thought about meditating, but honestly, Mike is always on me about it. Um, one thing I can't do is sit still. So that's my biggest problem. So working out for me is the way to I recharge my brain and, and get ready to go. I don't know, I don't think I can shut my brain off for that amount of time because I'll be thinking about everything I need to be doing while I'm sitting there. So uh, working out is my way of just kind of re resetting everything for the morning and you know, right after that, a good cold shower and go after tackle the day. We appreciate you, Frank. Thank you for working within the context of integrity and being such an example for young entrepreneurs and providing that great learning platform. I have four children, so I know it's something that I need. You're going to fulfill that need. What a great thing that Aluna is. Come back and join us here on Office Hours. Thank you, guys. Appreciate the time. Thanks, Thank Frank. you, Frank. Thank you. You know, when I graduated from law school, as I was leaving, one of my professors, Judge Ray, pulled me aside and he said, if you forget everything that you learned in law school, don't forget this. It's good business.
to be good in business. When you hear Frank, when you meet people like Frank, you want to do business with guys like that, women like that. When you get to a meeting or a party or an event, your reputation got there an hour ago. So it's really good business to be good in business, and Frank is like a textbook example of that. You've heard some amazing guests this episode. Now let's hear the takeaway of the day from Jason Waller, host of the True Underdog Podcast. I'm Jason Waller with your takeaway of the day. To get from where you are to where you want to be in life, you're often required to take a leap of faith. Entrepreneurs who have the confidence in themselves to take the jump and take the big risk are the ones who can make their dreams a reality. I'm excited to hear from our next guest, Travis Adams, CEO of My First Sale. Our next guest is helping our youth save the world. Travis Adams, the CEO of My First Sale. What I mean by that is I believe entrepreneurs are going to save this world. As much as we want to utilize sustainable practices, which I encourage everyone to do, that's a big order. When I was 10 years old, uh, I was in an entrepreneurial program called Junior Achievement, which my first sale uh, works with as well. There's over 100 million alumni in that. And it set me on a path of innovation and entrepreneurship to believe in myself that I could make money, help people, and have fun. You specifically, your podcast, your business, is youth, juvenile-based entrepreneurship. Why do you focus specifically on are younger entrepreneurs in order to facilitate their first sale? Number one is kids need to know that they're special and they're unique and they've got gifts that nobody else does. I mean, DNA is, is scientific evidence that every person on this world is, is one of a kind. So for kids, one, to discover their passion, um, and we do that when kids choose a business, we call it your sweet spot, right? You talk about it all the time. I mean, our goal is to teach kids to be financially capable generous self-starters. And so all businesses and all entrepreneurship is, is, hey, what's a problem that I can solve mixed in with my unique talents and then kids thrive. So kids not only learn to be entrepreneurial, uh, but they also learn their unique uh, talents, gifts, and then they have fun doing it. I was honored to be at the uh, JA Associates um, speaking engagement earlier this year for you know some of them that became the entrepreneurs to see who built the best business. And it was over in, in Boca, Florida. And that was the first time I've ever seen anything like that. And I remember telling them like, I wish my kids could enroll in school and learn business, not your fundamental history or you know writing classes. Not that that's bad, but they gotta understand how to manage a checkbook and how to pay bills and all of those things. Your business does that and implements, and implements that in there. What inspired you to wanna get into this business? What motivated you to get into this business? Well, Scott and I, our, our other co-founder, uh, we went to a, um, a entrepreneurial MBA program down in Austin, Texas called the Acton School of Business. I mean, it's a small school, it's very competitive, and we had 12 master teachers. So they would be off running their businesses um, for the whole week. They would pop in for a couple hours and they do a case study. It was Harvard style, which is where Jeff Sandifer, that's where he went to Harvard, Harvard MBA. So he kind of brought that aspect and we would, we would do case studies. And it was just like, hey, you know, you get cold called, you know, and say, hey Dave, you know, this is the situation, what do you do? And you've got to give evidence and you've got to know your numbers and all those things. So Scott and I met there and I, I actually have, I used to be a financial advisor, so I've got that financial background. 
um, I had an opportunity to ju jump in with Scott, uh, who was running uh, uh, taking another company public. And so he said, "Hey, man, you want to do this?" And um, it really it fit my unique. Uh, passions and giftings of really unlocking and tapping into kids' potential. Travis, I absolutely love what you're doing and uh, thank you. So, you know, so much I think of traditional antiquated ways of teaching children is to, to put externally, you know, into them education in order to get something out of them, which often, you know, there's a big difference between living and existing when we're here on this planet. And, yeah. and, I, and I see what you're doing is helping people live rather than existing. What you said, tapping into their potential and pulling that out of them rather than pushing something into them. How are you doing that? And are there certain characteristics or certain traits that you see in, that make entrepreneurs, even at a young age, that can help them do that? The way we do that, like I kind of alluded to, was really like finding out, like one of the questions we ask is like, what do you lose track of time doing, right? What do you love? So I could ask you, you guys, you know, what that is. You could probably tell me pretty quickly. So what we do is we say, all right, what do you lose track of time doing? What are you good at? So what do your friends and teachers and parents say that like, hey, you're actually really good at whatever, writing or drawing or whatever. And then we have them come up. Well, what if you take those two things, what's a need in the world? Number three, what's a need in the world that you can combine with your talents and your passions? And that's how you choose a business. So the motivation to your point is internal. Like if you give a kid, let them do something they already love to do, and then they're solving the problem, it's self-motivating. And it's um, you know, like a lot of times our kids, once they get going, you don't have to try to motivate them right or get on to them like finish the next step because it's that it's already something that's inside of them they're they're kind of releasing so that's how we do it yeah, i think that's really really powerful and i want to thank you for investing in our future our collective futures because children and youth will impact the future a lot more than any of us here on the set so i have a two-part question uh, about working with young entrepreneurs children entrepreneurs specifically what's been the most surprising thing that you've learned uh, from working with these uh, children entrepreneurs. And secondly, you're actually teaching young people something that I find is critically important and valuable to them moving forward, uh, an education that you don't normally get in school. So is My First Sale affiliated with any school districts? Is there any sort of implementation of your business into the school system, or is that somewhere you're going down the road? Most surprising thing is kids are way more capable than we ever have dreamed, right? I mean, we have parents over and over like, man, I just, I would try to step in or I would kind of hover. And they're like, my kid totally took care of it. Like kids are smart. Parents see that very clearly and they realize the capability of kids is so much higher. Um, and then as far as who we work with, so we actually, I and mean, we actually, we're, we're, we're talking with an entire city slash district in California to launch their entire school district. Um, where we go in, it's financial literacy in a box for K through 12. We've had high school senior classes launch. We've had um, obviously elementary school, homeschool co-ops. So yeah, we do partner with schools um, so we can work in the classroom, we can work with a school district, or we can work uh, you know, with a micro school. The CEO of My First Sale, helping everyone get their first sale and then scale it out to many, many more, making a lot of money, helping a lot of people and having a lot of fun with our young entrepreneurs, as I believe, to save the world. You are helping me, Travis, save the world, empowering others to empower others through the younger generation. Thank you so much for joining me on Office Hours. Thanks, Travis. Thank y'all.
That's that's it. I mean, that's everything, right? I think it was Einstein who said, you know, if you judge a goldfish by its ability to climb a tree, it will go through its life thinking that it's stupid. <laughs> and that's how so many people exist, right? But it's what he's doing is that's changing that. We're all born genius. The trick is to hold on to it over time, and you can do it by identifying it early and polishing it over time. Yeah, my first sales is really cool to me because for the first time, at least that I know of, financial literacy is being taught outside of the home. And so many people are at a disadvantage because they come from homes where their parents may be financially illiterate and not even know. And they depend on the school system to teach them financial literacy and it's, it hasn't been something that's been a part of the system for so long. And with My First Sale being affiliated with school districts, these kids that don't have access to that sort of material and uh, leadership will get it and, and they'll be able to implement that and then teach their children. And we're going to have a more financially literate society, which is going to make us even more strong and more impactful society. Let's go to this week's Executive Spotlight. Each week, we'll be interviewing the top entrepreneurs and executives, sharing their personal playbook to success and the lessons they've learned along the way. Glenn Lundy is a husband to one, a father to eight, a 23-year automotive professional, an award-winning speaker, a nationally recognized writer, and the host of the number one online morning show in the world. I'm here with my executive spotlight, the incredible Glenn Lundy, who is the founder of 800% Club. Of course, everybody knows him from the host of the Rise and Grind show, but you also have the number one clubhouse, and I'm blessed to be on the Breakfast of Champions, uh, 6 a.m. on Fridays, every Friday, and it literally is the highlight of my week because you have aggregated the greatest thought leaders, executives, entrepreneurs on Clubhouse. How did you get involved and why in Clubhouse? Because you've been there from the very start. Well, I appreciate the kind words, Dave, and you always kill it on Fridays. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, you always kill it. It's my favorite part of the week also. Uh, but Clubhouse, man, that, that app just kind of came out of nowhere, you know? And uh, when it hit, I remember it was a Saturday. I got on there, and I was fascinated. All of a sudden, I was in a room with Tyrese and Grant Cardone and Tiffany Haddish and all these people. I'm like, what is going on? This is wild. Sharon Lecter. Yeah, like Sharon all Lecter. Yeah. yeah, everybody. Uh, Jesse Itzler, you know, yeah. all of them. And so I ended up spending 16 hours on Saturday on Clubhouse going, what is this? I kept telling my kids, daddy's working, leave me alone, daddy's working, right? And uh, I just realized that there was a huge opportunity there for the person that could move in first to dominate a consistent daily space, to be able to add value into the world through motivation, education, and inspiration. And so I called all my friends, including you, and we're like, hey, we have an opportunity here. We'd love for you to be a part of it. And uh, two days later, we launched the first episode. And now fast forward, here we are, the number one, number one show on the app. One of the reasons that you know, I love Clubhouse is that I can stop in and piggyback onto different shows. I do an Ask Me Anything on Monday. I'll do a Future of Work and come in as a VIP guest, like a Jesse or a Grant, and sure. come in, or on Friday on Breakfast of Champions, most of the audience would wonder, how can you do something six hours a day, six days a week, while you're running a multi-million dollar business, you have the 800% club, you also still do Rise and Grind. How can you do all of those things? And it appears on Clubhouse, I know it's just audio, that you're available or on there about 90% of the time. I wake up very early in the morning. Let's start there. I get up at 3.20 a.m. I only sleep uh, four hours and 20 minutes at night so that I can maximize all of the minutes while I'm in my prime. You know, I feel like time is, it's an investment. And so, 
by, by maximizing my hours, making sure to invest my minutes, and collaborating with amazing superhumans. So we have 48 different people that help run that room. So if I have to step aside, uh, which I do, I, get, I do my morning routines, I've got the kids, things like that, I'll step aside, I know there's people in place, and they message me if, you know, if somebody needs me or so on and so forth. So I can kind of be there, but not 100% be there, um, because I have trusted champions that are helping run the room and create the content. Asking for help is amazing, because you did. You reached out to me and you said, hey Dave, can you help me? And then even I was honored you know, to mentor with you. I say mentor with you, because I learn as much in our mentoring sessions as hopefully you get from me. One of the advantages, I know you have, what, a thousand episodes of Rise and Grind, is that correct? Going on, it'll be, a th we're going on at that. We have 913 as of this morning. Nonetheless, with that many guests, I know with my podcast, we're at 800, and 50 some, you become like Napoleon Hill. My favorite books, Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill got to interview, you know, hundreds of the greatest world thought leaders. And because of technology, we don't have to spend our lifetime right. doing it. And we get to meet far more people in far more industries. Out of all the people you have been with, collaborating, interview, et cetera, what are some of the key lessons, the key takeaways? The shockers that you have, you know, for me, I always say be kind to your future self or sure. be more interested than interesting. I have a few go-tos that change my life, and most of them are very simple, like right. say thank you. Right. What are some for you that you can share with us? One of the first ones that I'll share was with uh, Grant Cardone. So Grant Cardone, for those that don't know Grant Cardone, I watched this guy sell you know, CDs out of the back of his trunk 20 years ago, and now he's worth $2.4 billion, and, and the guy's everywhere. And I interviewed him a year ago, uh, and I said, I said, Grant, as far as your potential, how much of your potential do you think you've filled? Here you are, you're a billionaire, you've done all these things. He said, 40%, I think I've reached about 40% of my potential. I said, 40%, bro, you're like top 1% of the 1% of the 1% in the world. He's like, there's so much more, there's so much more. Then I interviewed him again a couple months ago, and he said, I didn't ask the same question, but he said, Glenn, I thought about that question since you asked me last time, and I lied, it's 10%. I've only lived up to 10%. He said, I'm realizing there's so much more with every level, there's so much more. So that's always been profound for me, and especially being able to watch his journey, uh, but also the first time you know, that, that uh, you and I spoke, when, when I got to share that experience with you, and you had me come out to your home, which was awesome. I got to meet Dave and, and, and Mike and all of them. One of the things you told me there is, I'm not afraid to have someone fly out for an hour meeting and tell them to go home. Like, people waste a lot of time, right? And so ever since then, I've tried to make sure to really invest every single minute in a powerful way. And it's made a big impact in my life and the uh, life of my family and my business as well. You coach yourself, you have the 800% Club, okay. you used to be a GM of a major car dealership, taking a practical business job and exploring and growing and expanding into your own brand, yeah. empowering and being one of the Meltzer 1000, empowering you know, at least a thousand in your life to empower a thousand. Yes, so I'm sir. handing, like Sadhguru handed off a billion to me, I'm handing off at least a million to you. Okay, and I'm All counting right. on you. How do you find what people need? Because obviously that's what business is about fulfilling no a need, but if we can't figure out what someone needs, we find it difficult to provide quantitative value to them. Yeah, I, I, uh, I Dave, there's a couple things. One, my favorite book is, um, you know, How to Win Friends and Influence People, and I've read that book hundreds of times, and I try to apply those things anytime I meet someone. 
because you can learn a lot from listening, right? And over time, I've developed this strategy. I call it the lead strategy. So it's L-E-A-D-D, right? <laughs> and I know you're, for David. Yeah, the extra D's for David, right? But it's L-E-A-D-D, and that stands for listen, encourage, advise, and develop, and do it daily, right? So with my kids, I listen, encourage, advise, and develop. With new clients, listen, encourage, advise, and develop. People I'm coaching, listen, advise, encourage, advise, and develop. So I always go in with two ears, one mouth, like your mama told you, right? Listen twice as much as you speak. Then I listen with the intent to encourage, right? Not to disagree, not to object, not to um, come over the top, but to encourage. Find something great about that person. Empower them. Make them feel amazing, right? Then we can go into advise. If there's an area of opportunity to exchange services, we can develop a relationship at that point. And if you do that daily, all, this, all the time, you quickly learn what ind individual needs are and how you can serve them. It is a pleasure to have you here an Executive Spotlight with the great Glenn Lundy, 800% Club. Rise and grind if you haven't heard or seen it make sure you check that out. You're an author, a speaker, the number one show on Clubhouse, which I'm blessed to be on there Fridays at 6 a.m. as well. You will join the Breakfast of Champions with champions from Hall of Famers, billionaires, millionaires, and entrepreneurs. Thank you so much for your friendship and the lessons that you teach us. We Thank appreciate you, man. You. Love you. Love you too. Thank you so much. Now, a quick word from our JA Impact honoree partner, presented by Screwball Peanut Butter Whiskey. Junior Achievement Worldwide prepares young people for employment and entrepreneurship, delivering hands-on experiential learning and work readiness, financial literacy, and entrepreneurship. The recipient of the JA Impact Honoree is selected based on their mission-driven values and had the opportunity to align with Junior Achievement Worldwide through their 100 million-plus alumni network. Driving awareness to their brand through Junior Achievement's millions of entrepreneurs looking to make an impact on the world. Hi, I'm Steve Yang, co-founder of Screwball Whiskey. The best leader on earth leads with their heart, and that is certainly true for today's Junior Achievement honoree, Claude Silver. All the things that Claude does to help provide a safe place for her employees while also spreading joy is an example we should all aspire to follow. Congratulations, Claude. Thanks for watching this week's episode of Office Hours. And a special thank you to our featured co-hosts and guests for joining today's episode. See you next week on Office Hours.